Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan in Shawnee, Kansas, and we are going to talk Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl football. That's right. We are one step away from completing a Run It Back tour. So let's not delay. We've got a ton to talk about. Let's introduce the guys. He had turf toe jumping up and down throughout his house as the Chiefs completed a victory over the Buffalo Bills. Jacob Allen is with us on the podcast. How are you doing, man? Good. I was watching the game with Eddie George as well, and his turf toe still hurts him to this day. He threw his shoulder out with the amount of punching the air he did throughout this game against the Bills. Sam Blecka is here. How are you doing, bud? Not too bad. Um, I think this week I I am going to start a petition to get all of the news media outlets to force their hosts to say, I am blank. I apologize for doubting the Chiefs. Sign <laughs> and put them on their Twitters. Oh, I love that. And I am Sean. I pulled my hamstring at least three times sprinting around my house in excitement as the Chiefs completed their victory over the Buffalo Bills to bring home the Lamar Hunt Trophy for the second year in a row. Let us not delay and get right to everything here. Let's review our score predictions from last week. And honestly, this might be the best we've done collectively as a group which, again, doesn't say much, but overall, much, much better. Uh, Sam, for the Kansas City Chiefs, you had them winning 34-17. to 17. Uh, Also, just for everybody keeping score at home, uh, Sam also picked 34-20 uh, victory for the Packers over the Bucks. Jacob, you were 38-20 to 20 Chiefs over the Buffalo Bills, so you were about money on that one, almost exactly. And then you were the only one to pick the Bucks over the Packers, 34-31. So you got both victories right. I picked the Chiefs to win 31-21. to And then also picked the Packers to win 28-21. to And I will say that if the Packers had gone forward on fourth down, we might have had a different story, but they didn't. So congrats, Jacob. You get bragging rights for this week. It's the one week that I feel like any of us deserve bragging rights. So well done. Let's go ahead, guys. This was kind of a crazy week of football. So let's get our initial impressions from the weekend. Whether whatever you know struck your fancy, whether it was something for the Bucks or the Packers or the Chiefs and the Bills or just in general football, let's go around the horn. Jacob will come to you first. What was your big takeaway or takeaways from this past weekend of championship football? All right, number one. This one wasn't as exciting to go to the Super Bowl, but it, it was a different feeling. It was more vindication of what we already knew all year and our expectation. So I just want to start there because I don't want to not acknowledge that the Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. This is weird. This went from a game where I didn't think my team could ever play in it. It didn't feel like a real experience. You know, it was just go to the Super Bowl party, wear your Chiefs jersey. It's not your team playing. Two, now it's my team better be playing in it. But then number two, just general reaction for the entire weekend is why the heck are coaches taking so many field goals I just don't get it they'll eventually learn the Andy Reid book to understand that field goals don't win you games he made that he learned that over time other coaches need to learn it as well Sam what about you what were your big takeaways from this past weekend between the AFC and the NFC championship games primarily for me it's it's kind of down the same vein as what Jacob was talking about but almost in a more at the time, depressing sense of looking back 10 years ago and thinking Damon Heward and, and Brody Croyle and Matt Castle were the best option at quarterback we can get. And now we have Patrick Mahomes and it, it just seems 
kind of surreal at times that we're again we are back to back going to the Super Bowl. Obviously, it's not over yet. We still got one big game to go. So that that was my first thing. Is it's just kind of like, wow, this is we we're back to back Super Bowl. To I mean, just ridiculous. Uh, secondly, and this is on a more personal note, shout out to uh, Jacob's wife for for crediting him with with showing that Sean, Jacob, and I all ate buffalo wings in our suits for Jacob's wedding. And Jacob took his Chiefs jersey off to eat barbecue today. So shout out to Jacob for his priorities. Hey, that Mahomes jersey, it wasn't more expensive than this suit, but it was more important because the wedding was the important part. Good wording there. Nice save. Yeah, I think I'm along the lines of you. This weekend, even in the early part of the game, which we'll get to later, it was more of just a, a waiting for what we expected and, and feeling vindicated when they actually came through. The lead into this game felt like from, you know, the Skip Baylesses of the world, Stephen A. Smith's like, yeah, the Chiefs have played well in terms of like they've won, but they haven't blown anybody out. They haven't looked elite. And to see them come in and take on the only other team to have the same record during the last 12 games as them and blow them out felt very vindicating. It also was kind of the first time at the end of the game where I felt, you know, watching the NFC championship game and seeing guys like Brady and Rogers still going at it, you know, maybe not to the level that they used to, but still just making plays at, at very advanced ages for what you would think in, in terms of NFL years. And to know that the chiefs have the next guy in line who has a chance to do some things that have never been done before or haven't been done by many people in, in past history, which we'll get to later in the podcast, but the feeling that, wow, like we've got that guy here, you know, watching Brady and Rogers and remember all the years watching those types of players, even before that, when you look at guys like, you know, Brett Favre and Peyton Manning and back when Drew Brees was in his prime, it's just, you look around the league and you think, man, it'd be so cool to have one of those guys and just never thinking you get it, thinking Alex Smith is the pinnacle. And now we've got that guy who everybody is going to be compared to going forward. So I think this was the first time that had really kind of hit me watching all the other guys that we grew up watching. And now that we're adults, we see that we have that guy on the team that we root for. Sticking with the quarterbacks, let's move to something kind of specific. And we're going to look at quarterbacks who maybe didn't have things, not maybe, who definitely didn't have things go their way when it was all said and done. And that is Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen. Both guys highly touted. Rodgers is, is probably going to be the MVP of the league. And, you know, I know we've talked about, you know, where, you know, Patrick Mahomes ranks in that and his chances in that. I still think that, you, you know, we would all love to see Patrick Mahomes win it, but I don't think Aaron Rodgers is an undeserving candidate. He's definitely the front runner at this point with national media and, and he's earned that. He is an elite quarterback. Josh Allen was the best thing since sliced bread. He was the new hot commodity, the the bright, shiny new toy coming off two tough seasons where he's not completing 60% of his passes. And all of a sudden he's just under 70% and he's looking like an MVP candidate. And both of them came up short. Both of their futures are, are trailing off in very different directions, but are both very compelling to me. And where do we think that they are going to end up? Aaron Rodgers pushing 40 at this point in the definitive twilight of his career. Josh Allen looks like he's on the upswing. 
but still has a hard time getting over that hump to get to a championship and, and had a tough game this past week against the chiefs. So I want to start with Aaron Rodgers just because his, his, since his career is winding down, take the elder statesman first, where do you guys see his future going forward? You see him, you know, he obviously had the comments after the game saying it wasn't his decision to kick a field goal on fourth down, down by eight, the Super Bowl on the line. It's not the first time he's, he's not so subtly called out a coaching decision with his team. And he's 38 and he still only has one Super Bowl win in a career that when you look at it on paper, it looks like he should have at least three or four. Sam, we'll come to you first here. What do you think Aaron Rodgers' future is? Do you think it's retirement? Do you think it's another year with the Packers? Do you see him, you know, pushing himself out of Green Bay? What do you think? is in the in the cards for Aaron Rodgers going forward. I can't even begin to think he's close to retirement. I mean, you're looking at a guy that had statistically and and eye test wise one of his better better years um this year obviously very deserving of of the what we do think it will be the eventual MVP award that he'll probably get this year. My only question is, you know, he is where does he end up? Does does he take the trajectory of a Tom Brady or or a Peyton Manning of of moving teams, two guys that were synonymous with a franchise, and and moving on to another organization? And as we see with Tom Brady this year, continuing being successful, we know he's had coaching issues, as you mentioned in the past, with with Mike McCarthy, and this this coaching decision to take uh, to not go for it on fourth seems like one of those more of a, a rookie coach type situation more than anything. Maybe um, I, I think I can definitely see Roger sticking around for a little while because of the success he had this year. But if, if things continue to deteriorate as far as them not getting him weapons and, and not seeing the, the success that we think Aaron Rodgers should be achieving as good a quarterback he is, um, I can definitely see him moving and, and, I think there are many options this year if he really wanted to go that there's a lot of people that would be in all all the way with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you'd be I think most teams would be pretty stupid not to. So for him, it's I, there's no way he's retiring. My question is just how how much patience does he have with the organization moving forward? And, and I think definitely with the success, I can see him sticking around. But if he's just that fed up, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he tried to force his way out. Jacob, what about you? What do you think is in the cards for Aaron Rodgers? I'm going to preface with this for everybody. I got a lot of opinions about a lot of the things we said. I'm sorry. First off, MVP got voted on at the end of the regular season. So just a reminder that none of the playoffs will have any sort of influence on the award. And I think we're all three in agreement that it's going to go to Rodgers. One of the things to note about it is it gets announced the day before the Super Bowl. Mr. Patrick Mahomes if he doesn't already have enough motivation for the Super Bowl, he'll get just a little bit more the day before. I, again, am curious about will he even get second place in the MVP? I'm still, this is my prediction, is that Derrick Henry's going to get second. I think Mahomes is going to finish third or fourth. But Aaron Rodgers, I'm in 100% agreement. There's no way he's retiring anytime soon, especially with the way the old quarterbacks have been playing. Like you said, Sean, they have figured out how to make passing just as efficient, even at an old age. But also, I wanted to go to the coach side of things for Aaron Rodgers. It does seem like 
we keep coming back to poor coaching with Aaron Rodgers, which is just mind mind blowing. But at the same time, you start to ask yourself, when do you point the finger back at Aaron Rodgers? Matt LaFleur, the Packers coach, just just completed his second season. And a uh, side note, as I was looking him up, his playing career <laughs> includes the Omaha Beef, which is a Canadian football league team. No idea when I saw that. I knew I had to share it. I'm sorry that I'm going off topic. At the same time, that coaching decision, I wonder too, did Matt LaFour ask Aaron Rodgers to try to constantly push the ball to Devontae Adams inside the 10-yard line? Because that was also something very strange that was going on in that game was he refused to look other ways. I mean, I know the play designs were for Devontae Adams as the first read, but you wonder to yourself about was there another place he could go? And then, of course, lots of people are saying that on he could have run the ball in as well, and he did not. But Aaron Rodgers, it's tough. And then as far as his future, it would be weird not seeing him in a Packers uniform, but at the same time, we're watching Tom Brady in a Buccaneers uniform, which is also weird. And this whole Deshaun Watson off-season drama makes me wonder just how soon are we going to get to an NFL that looks more like an NBA where the stars can push themselves out of town because the quarterbacks are so important that they'll get what they want. And if they don't, they can say bye. I'm in agreement that he's not retiring. I don't think any of us consider that as a legitimate option, but I'm going to put the percentage at 70%. He ends up somewhere else. I think in Green Bay, it is clear that He's, he's given them everything that he can. His career eerily mirrors Brett Favre and where you get a Super Bowl early on in your career and you spend the rest of it chasing. Now, I think Aaron Rodgers is better than Brett Favre just for the, the interceptions part of it. But other than that, their careers do mirror each other in a lot of ways. The ability, careers of guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, who went to other teams and, and made it to a Super Bowl, and Peyton Manning, in case he won a Super Bowl. Brett Favre, I think, is the other side of that coin, where it's, you know, he, he pushes his way out of Green Bay as opposed to staying and mentoring the young quarterback there. Like, we want him to play, and it's like, well, then I need to go. And he spends his career chasing it, and he never gets back. I wonder which, which side of that coin Aaron Rodgers would land on if he does end up moving. I do think this is going to be an unprecedented offseason in terms of quarterback movement. And I think that his name is now, after that comment, it makes me think that it's definitely something that is on his mind, where it's the first time they got to host the NFC Championship game and they didn't get it done. And he has clearly zeroed in on that call as as the reason why. Because in his mind, he thinks, if I went for it on fourth down, there's no way we're not getting that. I think that if he feels that if he can get to another team with more weapons, better coaching, and I think by better coaching, I think he thinks that means give him more control, he would have a better chance of winning a Super Bowl. So I, I think he's going to stay playing, but I, I'm starting to lean pretty heavily that it's not going to be in Green Bay. So then where's the blame to go would be my question, because they've gone to the NFC Championship in back-to-back years. It's not like their team is a complete failure. Where is Rodgers going to go that he feels like he's in a better situation? Have, have the Packers failed him? That's my question to you guys is, is it a personnel thing? Because he has, at this point, I know the big drama in the offseason was that he didn't get a weapon in the draft. 
But at the same time, he has Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. He's got two good receiving threats is what I'll call it, because I think that's key in today's NFL. But my question is, then who's the blame on if it's if it's not on Rodgers and it's not on the coaching, is it on the personnel department? Where where does the blame lie with that organization then? And will Rodgers find a better place? It feels like Kevin Durant going to the the finals with the Thunder and then saying, okay, see you guys later. We couldn't win. Yeah, and I and you know, in that analogy, he did go to a different team and he also won. So I think and that team had a lot of weapons. Now that team, I think was built if you're talking about and again for those who have the prop bets out there that jacob was going to get your first sports crossover reference collect your bets as soon as we get the check from nbc but now also Sean, real quick uh just, and if you had a prop bet on me using a quick reference at the end to completely ruin a point i made you can also collect your prop bet on that one as well <laughs> but in that one he did but i think to your point though I, I don't think it completely destroys the idea of like, well, he, it's Durant pushing himself out, but Durant went to a team that was very cohesive and willing to share the ball. They had a lot of offensive weapons, but they worked well together. They, they, they just gel. They fit well. I, I do think Green Bay has a team that gels and fits well, but maybe they just don't have enough weapons to compete in this day and age to get to the Super Bowl. I don't even know if I believe that. I think that sometimes that getting to the Super Bowl is just hard. And I think maybe early on in his career, you might've been able to say, well, they aren't putting enough around him. And that I agree with, especially uh, in the previous regime back when McCarthy was the head coach, I absolutely think they neglected the best years of Aaron Rodgers' career and thought that, well, we can save money here because he's so good, but they have found weapons. They got him Aaron Jones. They got him Devontae Adams. Now they could always get him a third one. That wouldn't hurt. Uh, find him an intermediate receiving options that something like a, a tight end that can you know catch the ball and run routes well, or another outside receiver who's maybe more of a deep threat than Devonte Adams. There's there are always ways you can improve. Absolutely. And Green Bay's offensive line always seems to be hurt. So there's something that, that to take from that. But at the same time, I think it's just hard to win in professional sports. And I think that's why it's so special if you can get somebody who will get you there. I think that's why everyone will always consider Tom Brady the best quarterback of all time, barring what Patrick Mahomes says with the Chiefs. That's something to consider. It's hard to win. If you get a guy that finds a way that just happens to gel, you know, as, as rough of an ending as it was in the relationship of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, that was a match made in heaven. They, between that and they have Rob Gronkowski, you end up bringing in a guy like Randy Moss. And granted, they didn't win a championship that year, but then... You have guys like Wes Welker, Julian Edelman. Uh, they found they found these these little niche guys that made careers out of playing in a with a team that just made it work. They all fit together. To your point with the the Warriors and Kevin Durant, it just all fit together. And I think it's hard to find that. So when you're talking about blame, I don't know if I would blame the Packers general manager. Was it a bad call to not going fourth down? Maybe, but your defense got you a stop. And they got three interceptions off the Buccaneers. Yeah, it wasn't like you didn't have chances to win. You were given opportunities to win. You just didn't do it. And you were playing against the best, arguably, to ever play the position of quarterback. So I don't know. I don't I don't know if I put blame on anybody else for that one necessarily. On your point, Sean. I don't think I don't think you're wrong in any sense now. I think the the problem with Aaron Rodgers and what what he's dealing with is more historical because what we're looking at is a is a player that 
seemingly wasted his prime years. It seems like that's what, and this is, I'm not in air. I'm not his psychologist. I'm not trying to diagnose the way he feels, but like he, I mean, he looks around the league now and he has, you've got Patrick Mahomes who has weapons for days. You have a, a team that has put things around him to achieve, whether that was drafting well, ensuring he got the guys that he needed to win. He sees teams like the the Cardinals trading for DeAndre Hopkins, giving a weapon, a very high quality weapon to a young quarterback. And for him, it's almost like, okay, you just expected me to do it all when I was young. And now that I think the coaching is better, I think McCarthy's coaching reign is where you see the problem still festering. It's a problem that is almost, it's like they burnt the bridge and now they're trying to repair it with Legos. Like they just can't make up for what happened in the past. And that's, what's going to be the problem because what I think Aaron Rodgers wants would probably want, if he went to another team, you talk about him going to like the Cowboys, him going to Jerry Jones, who would do anything and everything to make that man happy. He would go to any length he could to ensure Aaron Rodgers is a happy player. Um, And even if the the Packers have done that in recent years of of ensuring they have a good defense and maybe not putting the all-star weapons around him, I think the damage was already done in the past. And I think that's the real issue. If if he does move on, that's more of the reason why he'd do it, not necessarily because of what's occurring at this very moment. That's a great point. He's bringing baggage into a new relationship. And when you're, you're now other significant other does something that triggers you all of a sudden you're bringing up old stuff that that person had nothing to do with. So I think that makes, that's a really great point. Let's transition to the other young man who had a tough game this week, more statistically speaking than Aaron Rodgers did. And that's Josh Allen. I wanted to bring this up on the podcast because I had a chance to talk to two of our listeners who I, I meant to get permission to name them, but I did not do that. So I won't do it, but suffice to say they are close friends slash family and both of them or all of them, I won't say both of them because there's more than two, but all of them had brought up different points about our discussion about quarterbacks uh, last week when we talked about Lamar Jackson not performing uh, as a passer and then Josh Allen also struggling as a passer in their game against each other. And they, they brought, it was a really fun discussion in each discussion. And I, I really enjoyed their perspective and their, their viewpoints it was, it was I, what I think sports, you know, sports talk at a bar should be with you and your friends where a lot of good points are exchanged. The debate goes back and forward. Things are agreed upon and not agreed upon. What was interesting is they brought up, focusing on Josh Allen specifically, they brought up the point that Josh Allen is probably a top 10 quarterback this year, top seven quarterback this year. Statistically speaking, when you look at his numbers, 69% completion percentage on the year, he's had a monster season overall threw for 4,500 yards, ended up with 37 touchdowns to just 10 interceptions, started all 16 games this year, led his team to a 13-3 and season and an AFC championship appearance. If you just look at it on paper, he had a terrific year. And if you go back and look at it game by game, uh, we were talking about this before the podcast started, I was trying to find, okay, well, they, they made some really good points. Let me go back and look and see what I missed. Because I didn't, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know statistically that he had had just that good of a year. I knew he had a really good year, but I didn't know it was an MVP caliber season when you look at just the numbers. And when you compare him and Mahomes on just the numbers, they look really similar. 
you know, I just rattled off Josh Allen's numbers. Patrick Mahomes is really similar. You know, he, again, he only started 15 games this year just because they, you know, clinched the berth uh, to the playoffs and he didn't end up having to play the last game of the season. But, you know, 14 and one this year, threw for 4,700 yards, 66 completion percentage, had 38 touchdowns to just six interceptions. And, and led his team to an AFC championship victory. Both of them also had the same amount of games this year where they threw for less than 60% completion percentage in three games all year each. So when you look at just the numbers this year, they look like almost the same quarterback. We talked about it before the podcast and we've talked about it on a previous podcast. When you watch them play, there is nothing similar about them other than arm strength. They are very, very different. And the eye test just doesn't measure, to us at least, in the games that we've watched Josh Allen play, it doesn't measure up to what the numbers look like. And maybe that's just I'm watching the wrong games, but the games I've watched him play, granted they've been mostly against the Chiefs, it doesn't, it doesn't look the same as the numbers would portray. So I wanted to get, you know, obviously we'll present this on the podcast to you guys and for the listeners out there because I thought it was a really interesting points that were brought really interesting points that were brought up uh, this past weekend uh, from our friend, my friends and family, our fam, friends and family. And I, I wanted to see where you guys fell. What do you think Josh Allen is and what do you think he will be when we look at talking about the future of these quarterbacks now focusing on Josh, what do you think he really is? And what do you think we will be? We've alluded to it. We, I don't know if we've ever sat down and really broke it down. Jacob will come to you here first. What is Josh Allen? Well, he is an Allen first and foremost, and I have to respect that. <laughs> the problem, Sean, is you sound like ESPN over there just focusing on the stats, and it doesn't tell the story. Who led the league in passing this year? Deshaun Watson. Whose team went nowhere near the playoffs? Deshaun Watson. That's the problem with looking at the stats only. It doesn't tell the whole story, and, and that's why pro football focus is you know such a big deal because they are trying to put out other metrics because they know that the traditional – yards, touchdowns, interceptions, doesn't tell the full story. And there's a lot of garbage time that creates stats for every quarterback, Mahomes included. And one knock on Mahomes that people typically give is the, well, he only throws shovel passes and flips a Tyree kill. And so he, you know, doesn't even throw the ball for those touchdowns. So why should those count as regular touchdowns? As far as Josh Allen goes, I think you're going to see a guy that will maybe make a Super Bowl appearance, but the issue is going to be that he's going to have to see Patrick Mahomes on a consistent basis, but there's going to be a year it doesn't line up where he doesn't have to. And his legs are enough of an X factor that I think he will make a push to the Super Bowl, but I'm only going to say once because the rest of the guys in the AFC, I think it's kind of running out of juice for them. The Lamar Jackson experiment to me again last week is over. And the Bills have a lot around him. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't want to knock him too far, but passing was very efficient this year. You can go look at Ryan Tannehill as well, and his numbers are not that far off from Mahomes. And, of course, Rodgers had the MVP season. So I think he's a good player. I just think the problem is he's going to line up against Patrick Mahomes year after year, and he also doesn't have enough to get by the other guys consistently, so he'll get himself knocked out early there too. He's a boomer bust guy is where I'll say he's at in his career. I'd like to say he's further than that. He's less bust on days than he was previous years, but he's a boom and bust guy. 
I've wrestled with this question because statistically speaking, I, he, he does look terrific uh, when you look at him on paper. But I watched this game and there were four or five passes where it was just, you know, a guy in the flat or a guy open over the middle and he just missed him. And it wasn't like he just barely missed him. He missed him by a lot. And to me, it's almost like he's the opposite side of the coin to what Alex Smith is, where they have similarities in that they're both athletic quarterbacks who can run. He's just the big armed version of Alex Smith, where he's going, he, he finds a way to get the ball downfield to big time weapons where Alex Smith was more dink and dunk. Now, Alex Smith never came close to a season like Josh Allen, so he's obviously maybe more starting to advance more towards having big seasons. But I think your point is a valid one, Jacob, where you bring up, you know, passing efficiency is way up. That's kind of where the NFL has trended over the last few years. And so maybe he, you know, he, to his credit, you know, the previous two years, let's not forget, he was less than 60% on his completion percentage. And this year he's pushing 70, which is a terrific year. You cannot take that away from him. And I want to make sure people think it's like he, we, I don't think any of us think he's a bad quarterback. It's just this hype around him. Even before the game, there were people who gave edge at quarterback to the bills in the media. Josh Allen to me, when I watch him play, there is a stark difference in between him and Mahomes. And that's not necessarily a fair comparison because Mahomes is, is, is the new standard he's he's the the elite of the elite in this league but at the same time it's it's everybody comparing josh allen to mahomes and saying this is going to be the war for the next however many years and it's like well it's not a war if one guy gets obliterated you know josh allen's only credited with one interception but he threw the pick on the two-point conversion too that was a bad pick it was a bad pick so and he should have been picked off by ward earlier in the game as well Ward had the ball in his hands about as easy a pick as you can get without it hitting you between the numbers, and he dropped it. And Juan Thornhill had a chance to make a pretty good play on an interception. He would have strong hands, but there was another one as well. Yeah, and so at a certain point, it's just, okay, well, what what is he really? And, and for me, he's other side of the coin to Alex Smith, where he's a big arm, big play threat, but maybe he doesn't hit all of the, the easier passes, like a you know, swing pass to the running back in the flat or just a quick slant over the middle or a comeback route on the outside. He's just not – those things are what he misses, and those are the things that end up costing him. Uh, Sam, what about you? What, what do you – bring us home on this conversation with Josh Allen. What do you think he is? What do you think he could be going forward? I may go down as, as the guy that just hates on players that the media talks about a lot. But it, it really frustrates me when, when you listen to sports talk radio and, and listen to commentators and the way they talk about some of these players. And for me, it's just it's an inability to understand what they see and the reason why they believe the player is the way they, they project them. When I watch Josh Allen, when I, when I really get to see him play, you cannot deny the guy's talented. He has a massive arm. His running ability is his X factor, as Jacob said. That was, as we said last week, that was the one thing I'm scared of with him is his ability to move around in the pocket. My problem is when you compare him to Patrick Mahomes, which that may be a Chiefs elitist view, but in reality, as you said, Sean, that is who you're going to be compared to moving forward. Most of his career, he will be compared to Patrick Mahomes. The quote unquote it factor is not there that I see the, the factor of if I had to win a game, do I trust him to win me that game? And, and if I was 
Buffalo, I could not say that for Josh Allen. It's not like with Patrick Mahomes. Again, we, we are Chiefs homers. That's what this podcast is about. But we went through a lot of, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a lot of very bad quarterbacks in our, in our experience with the Chiefs. And we've seen what a talented player, a guy that can has a strong arm, Brody Croyle, guy could throw it over those mountains over there. No problem. Those forearms were just immaculate. But would you ever say Brody Croyle is going to win you a game? No. And just to clarify, Brody Croyle never did win a game. So no, I, I yeah, no. just saying. Um, but but for me, it's that's the problem is is you're comparing a guy because with the quarterback position, you obviously have the tangible aspects, which is arm speed, the ability to throw the ball, mobility, and then obviously it's the intangible factor. And and what the intangible factor, obviously, it's it's non quantitative. You can't just immediately put a value on it. But when you watch the guys, Tom Brady, you watch Tom Brady, he he has it. Aaron Rodgers, even though he didn't win this week, you know if you it comes down to it, that I think that's the big discussion. If it comes down to it, you trust Aaron Rodgers to win the game. And that's why that discussion is having is being had this week about the fourth down play, because you put the ball in that guy's hands. You don't I I would never trust putting the ball in in Josh Allen's hands as of now. Now again, he's made a huge stride even in this past year. You look at a guy that went from 59-something percent pass accuracy to 69, I think it was, this year. Extreme improvement, and you can't knock the guy for that. But overall, those it's just meaningless stats unless you feel comfortable winning the game. For me, if I'm going to put a comparison of a player that I think he could be, it's Matt Stafford. It's a guy that's going to put up massive numbers. It's just going to lightly. I mean, you look at Stafford's numbers. He he is a Hall of Famer based off numbers. But when you compare, when you talk about, hey, should Matt Stafford be in the Hall of Fame? I don't think many people are going to say he should be. Now, again, Josh Allen could come out next year and just continue the evolution of improvement. If he does great, that's going to lead to some quarterback duels that will be great down the road. But until he shows the, the intangible factors, the it factor at quarterback, the ability to win a game, I don't see the comparisons. And one, one side note, Sean, just because this is a, as we've said, uh, there are multiple players. This is a pro podcast for Alex Smith is one of those. You got to put a little respect on Alex Smith's name. In 2017, he did have 4,042 yards. So had, had a pretty good season, not quite as many touchdowns, but, but you got to, at least he had, had that last year in, in Kansas city he had a big, big year for us. So. And one more thing I was going to add on that. I do not see the Alex Smith comparison other than Alex Smith's X factor from time to time was wheels, just because Alex Smith is all about accuracy and short passes. Whereas Josh Allen's trying to take big opportunities when he can. But one last thing is that Josh Allen just makes back-breaking plays. He had two sacks in that game. It's like, what are you doing running backwards the way you are? So it's going to be a decision-making thing for him. I There still is a lot of upside, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, and, and real quick, just to wrap it up, the, the comparison, I don't fault Sean necessarily for, for the comparison of Alex Smith, not necessarily the type of quarterback they are, but when Alex Smith was in Kansas City, what have we always said? If you put enough weapons around him, you could win. Okay. I can agree to the outcome ability. That, of it. That's where I think the comparison is just because could he have a career like Alex Smith where he could have success, but never break past that point. I think that's very reasonable to say he just has, he has a lot of tangible aspects that are very impressive. It's just being able to put it all together and, and be that, 
be Patrick Mahomes is what he's going to be to- touted to be. And that's and that's kind of where I was going with it when I talk about the other side of the coin in that there are elements that mirror each other in terms of the athleticism, the ability to run, but also the 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 idea that would you trust them to win a game? You know, Alex Smith, I loved him to death, but if, if they didn't have at least two and a half minutes to get down the field, if they were starting inside their own 40, I didn't always feel comfortable. I didn't feel comfortable they were going to win that game. Josh Allen is the is the opposite of that in terms of that his, his arm would allow you to cover an incredible amount of ground very, very quickly. But it's the same, it's the same issue that you have with Alex Smith, just on different types of throws. Can he make that throw? Alex Smith's was, can he throw into tight windows and can he throw the ball deep? Josh Allen's is, can he throw the ball over the middle to a, a receiver in an intermediate route or just an easy swing pass? Can he make the right decisions to avoid getting picked off or have a, a you know take a bad sack? Because I agree with you, Jacob, the, the sacks, if you look at it on paper, it's like, well, of course he had a bad game. He got sacked four times. Two of those were entirely his fault where he is just running backwards instead of run, just get away, throw the ball away. It doesn't even matter if you take the grounding penalty at that point. Well, it does, but. And Sean, to cut you off. So it's just a miscommunication. I just didn't see the comparison in the sense of play style slash ability wise. And so I see where you guys are going now with that. Yeah. And well, and like you said, Sam, just to kind of wrap this up, if he continues to, to improve those, those little things, I think we have a very, very different discussion next year. Yeah, and, and real quick, I think the the reason this discussion is even occurring now is I think the NFL is at a turning point. We are seeing the old guard leave. We are seeing the, the Tom Brady's aging to the point where when is he done? Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger. And they're searching so hard to find those guys to fill that role because we've had it a crazy stretch of the elite of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL that you're like, Oh, who is the Saints quarterback? Drew Brees. Don't even have to question. Who's the Steelers quarterback? Ben Roethlisberger. Don't even have to question. And it's almost as if they're trying to to grasp at, okay, this guy's filling in for big Ben. Patrick is going to take over Brady's. And it's just, and that's almost what it feels like to me is that they're really trying to get guys to become that next level which I don't blame them. It is a business at the end of the day, and that's what they're meant to do. But they're just, it, it. they try so hard that at times I feel like they overreach and they stretch past what a player actually is. And it almost sets them up for failure, as we've kind of seen with Lamar Jackson. We'll see where it goes. And, you know, you know Lamar Jackson someone that I, I think we'll talk about too as well going forward, because his name did come up in the discussions I had over the weekend as well. Just Josh Allen's obviously more prominent discussion point here this week with him being the AFC championship game, but let's transition now to focus on the chiefs and we're getting the negative out of the way right away because we're ripping this bandaid off so we can get to the fun stuff later. Oh man. Eric Fisher is not going to play in this super bowl. He tore his Achilles towards the end of the game with the Kansas city chiefs and has been ruled out already at this point. He will not play, which sucks. Eric Fisher is one of my biggest surprises and eat my words players that I've ever had as a Chiefs fan and has been, you know, a silent community guy for a long time with Kansas City. You know, he got railed on a lot early on in his career and he didn't have to resign, but he did. He he stayed in Kansas City and now he's 
he was your most reliable piece on that offensive line once uh, Mitchell Schwartz went down. And to now not have him in this game is definitely a, a tough thing to swallow. And especially when a guy who is as deserving as anybody who went through some really tough times as a chief and deserves every, every positive that he can get just quickly here. What I want to get your guys, what your reaction was when you saw it, what you may have thought it was at the time, Jacob will come to you first. What was your reaction when you saw Fisher get hurt initially? I thought he rolled his ankle. So I was just like, ah, oh, it'll be right. He'll be back. So my initial reaction was completely wrong is what I'm saying. Sam, what about you? Did you, Initially think it was as bad as it ended up being, or what were your thoughts? What did you think it was at the time? I was really confused on the play because obviously it, it happened. They went to break, and then they came back and kind of showed it. So it was like, okay, what what happened? Is it a severe injury? What, what's going on? It, it didn't – it's one of those injuries that kind of out of nowhere, the Achilles pop is always a one that I think it happens and no one really knows what happens because it doesn't actually show up as like, a, oh, he obviously rolled his ankle or his knee completely moved the wrong way. So it was one of those weird ones where you really were kind of unknowing at the time until it was evident he was he was done for the day. This does leave another gaping hole on that offensive line. And I do, we are now down four out of five starters to begin the year. Eric Fisher is down. A simile went down. He was your starting left guard. To start the, the season, LaRon DuVernay-Tardif out, uh, opted out of the season. Well, your starting right guard is gone. Mitchell Schwartz with the back issue earlier this season. He is gone. You are now down to Austin Ryder, who also spent some time on the bench in favor of Kilgore. You are dealing with the most piecemeal offensive line I would debate anybody f- for this season, for any NFL team. And the fact they're still in the Super Bowl is mind-numbing. What do you think the offensive line will look like now? Who's going to take over left tackle? Who's moving out to right tackle? What's the best way to protect Patrick Mahomes going forward into this one against a Tampa Bay defense that has a very stout front four and and a very good front seven in general? Sam, we'll come back to you first on this one. I think it's probably going to end up what we saw at the end of the game. Wisniewski's probably going to come back in, um, play one of the guard positions, and then be Remmers moving out to the left tackle spot, Wiley out to the right tackle spot, and then the same two in the middle. At this point, I guess the only advantages we've kind of been, how can the offensive line, I mean, they've been terrible all year. What's getting a little worse <laughs> at this point, I guess. Um, I think it's, it's a lot – I mean, we saw it happen with, with David Bakhtiari with the Packers, got knocked out, and it, it did affect the Packers quite a bit this week, not having their left tackle. At this point, it's just fortunately we have a quarterback like Mahomes that, as we saw this week, is very good at escaping pass rush, and that's all we can really hope for at this point is what we've talked about, scheming the offensive line out of the play. That's what we're going to really have to do, I think, this week. Jacob, what about you? How are you best going to protect Patrick Holmes? What are your thoughts on the offensive line at this point? The same as Sam, what a mess. But I want to apologize a second time because I have a lot on this one too. It's going to be a lot like that Saints game, most likely, when Rimmers was hurt and they had to throw Wiley out at right tackle and then have Fisher at left tackle where we saw a lot of chips for Wiley and a lot of chips. Even on Eric Fisher's side, we saw more chips than we usually would just because they – I think they just felt like they couldn't leave both tackles on islands that game. I think that's going to happen again. 
I went back and watched the Buccaneers game. They already, Andy Reid already knew that the Buccaneers front was going to cause him problems the first matchup. His solution already was just quick passes. It, the ball was out of Mahomes' hand really quick a lot of times. And then they found moments where they could take their deep shots and Mahomes, you know, has that ability to escape pressure for long enough to make those throws. But he had already known that they were going to be trouble in that first matchup. What I'm saying is, I wonder how much more respect he's going to give him this go around even more now that he doesn't have his starting left tackle. And Sam, you bring up the Packers, which I think was interesting because that was one of the issues I felt like watching that game that they had was they didn't scheme around not being able to block. They just kept letting Rodgers drop back and try to organically create plays instead of, you know, screens and short passes and quick wide receiver, quick wide receiver screens too. So I think it's going to be a lot like we've seen all year where they try to take him out of it. And let's not also forget the O-line has played really well in the two playoff games, at least by my assessment. I thought they've looked pretty solid for what they have talent-wise left. I'm not super worried, and I think Sam put it near perfect about. I mean, it sucked all year, so Mahomes has dealt with the suckiness, and we just keep our fingers crossed that he can do it for one more game, and then they draft seven offensive linemen in the draft. Yeah, and, and I guess looking back, I just want to look back at what they did because I have the memory of a freaking mouse, um, what they did in the Bucks game or against the Bucks earlier this year. And credit to the offensive line, they they did a good job of remembering that they held that defensive front pretty well. I mean, holding them to only two sacks. So I can – you definitely have a very ferocious, to say the least, front seven in in with the Bucks, And so we can only hope that – see similar results that we saw against that last uh, against him in the last matchup. And one thing to point out that I should have is that the key for the offensive line is I think more Mahomes is he can't get strip sack this time. Cause that was the one thing that took momentum from him in the previous game when Pierre Paul had the strip sack right down near the goal line. That's the one big area improvement. I would say I want to see is Mahomes just, I think at this point it's just a matter of, Okay, early on, maybe you figure, do a little feeling out, where does the pressure come from? And and that's the side that maybe we chip on more and just hope on the other side. Uh, I do think that getting Clyde towards a layer back and having Daryl Williams play as well as they have is a huge benefit. And, and being able to maybe slow down the pass rush. Clyde, you know, obviously didn't play a ton in this game, but I think that's because Daryl Williams has played so well. And I think if you if you're able to have a running game, just just giving your quarterback that additional half step, that, that one that one second difference to take that last step, plant and throw, would be huge. Is, is in I think having a good running game, to where maybe those zone read option plays or the play fakes, the play action, actually halt the defense when you realize that okay, Daryl Williams is popping off four to five yards of carry, Clyde edwards Alaire is back and fully healthy after you know getting his feet wet, but then not really having to do a whole lot the rest of the game because they had Daryl Williams playing so well. I think that's a going to be a huge factor going forward is can you run the ball and keep Tampa honest as opposed to letting them just pin their ears back and come after Patrick Mahomes full bear, full bore. And we'll see how it goes, but that that's, I think, the best way to protect him at this point. Let's go ahead and get into the fun stuff. We've covered the negative. Let's move to the positive. The Kansas City Chiefs, are going back to the Super Bowl 
And that's a sentence that I didn't think I would ever say unless there was a 50 year gap between those times, because that's the only experience we've ever had as Chiefs fans. <laughs> they have a chance to be the first team to get back-to-back Super Bowl wins since the New England Patriots did it in Super Bowls 38 and 39. That's years 2003, 2004, for those keeping score at home. They have a chance to be the ninth team ever to win back-to-back Super Bowls. That is almost as rare as a 2,000-yard rusher in the NFL. First things first, before we dive into maybe more specifics, again, Just because it's not anything I thought we would experience in our lifetimes as Chiefs fans, I do want to get reactions from you guys. Kind of already played my cards here on my reaction. Sam will come to you here. Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl again this year after last year's victory. Where's your head at with this? It's a feeling that, again, you look back 10 years ago at the abysmal reality of being a Chiefs fan was, and the likelihood of, of what Jacob said earlier, that you root for the Chiefs until the Super Bowl, and then you have to pick a new team. And now it's the ability to to have to be able to root for your own team within the Super Bowl is something that was almost unbelievable for the first 28 years of my life. And now it's kind of gotten to the point where, man, this could be a continuous thing for a while. And it's, it's a pretty cool sensation. You, you kind of get to know what the Patriots felt like for – as long as they did and and these teams that have been good. So it's credit to the guys again this year going through the the COVID situation and, and putting everything they could to run it back as they've, as, as they've coined it and ensuring that they got back to this point. So it's, it's a pretty amazing feeling. Again, it's, it's something that I think it's, new to us but hopefully will not be a fading instance um more more of a frequent thing going forward jacob what about you you we've all been lifelong chiefs fans we were traumatized plenty where's your head at knowing that you're the the team that you root for is going to their second super bowl in as many years i so i already also kind of revealed my hand earlier talking about the vindication so i wanted to think a little bit differently on this one and answer differently a second time this one was so much more stressful the other one would have been was sheer joy and excitement versus heartbreak. This one was the vindication versus the stress of I've told everybody this team is going to the Super Bowl. Now they have to go do it. If they don't do it, then I look like an idiot. So that that's been the difference in the second go round for me. It is a weird thing with the vindication angle of it. Just for funsies, the previous eight quarterbacks who led their teams to a Super Bowl back-to-back years and won it are Bart Starr with the Green Bay Packers, Bob Greasy with the Dolphins, Terry Bradshaw with the Steelers, Joe Montana with the 49ers, Troy Aikman with the Cowboys, John Elway with the Denver Broncos, and as I said before, Tom Brady with the Patriots. That uh, coming from the Seattle Times were the ones that put that together for me. I didn't have to do any of the work. They did it all for me. So if you want to go back and look at it, when they were thinking Russell Wilson might actually be one of those guys to do it, you can do it too. For me, it is a surreal feeling. Obviously, the back-to-back is a huge thing. There is a lot at stake here. Jacob, you've mentioned vindication a few times. Uh, do you want to come back to you here and just you know pose the question, what's at stake for this team, for the Chiefs, for Andy Reid, for Mahomes, Tom Brady, 
there are a lot of storylines in this game for legacies. You know, the outcome of this game could dictate legacy for several of these players and coaches. For you, what are the what is at stake here for the Chiefs, for, for Brady, Mahomes, for Reed, et cetera, or anybody else that you might have come to mind? It took me a second to kind of think about Brady's because I was thinking to myself, well, Brady for a seventh ring, that dude's got nothing to risk. But he has the opportunity to completely separate himself from Bill Belichick and say, I did this. It wasn't Bill Belichick. Mahomes has the chance to separate himself and put himself in an elite crew of quarterbacks that have won two Super Bowls, which I believe is 11 other guys. It's either 11 other guys or 12 other guys. Right now he's with, uh, I think, 23 other guys for guys that have started two Super Bowls. Anyway, I don't know that the exact numbers I might be off by a number or two. Andy Reid has the chance to lock his Hall of Fame debate for 100%. I already think he's in, but he'll be 150% if he gets the second one this year. And then as far as Bruce Arians, it will be huge for him being his first one that he would win. So his his the talk around Bruce Arians would be completely different. Sam, what about you? What do you feel is on the line for people's different legacies in this one? The biggest legacy to to be bolstered from a Super Bowl win is is going to be Brady's. Not just because it separates him from Belichick, but it, I think it cements him as being the greatest quarterback of all time as of this point. There will always, to this, I think everyone will debate Montana. Everyone will debate those guys with Brady. But if Brady steps away from Belichick, goes to a completely different team, and in the first year wins a Super Bowl, at this point, in my opinion, he is the definitive goat of quarterbacks in, in NFL history. Now, obviously, there's a lot of players that that can be bolstered from this. I think Mahomes, obviously, winning a second one is huge, especially at such a young age. When you're looking at a guy that is as young as Patrick Mahomes, having an MVP, a Super Bowl MVP, and two Super Bowl wins, he's already on the the path to be right there with Brady. I mean, he's the kind of guy that that's the kind of performance where he retires next year and they already have to argue, is he a, is, is he a hall of famer for what he's done in his early career? Um, the advantage is he's still, he is still young. And so if he loses, he still has plenty of opportunity to get back. Now we've seen how hard it is to get to the Super Bowl, So I don't want to put any negativity on Patrick Mahomes. He just needs to go out and win regardless. So we don't even have to think about him getting a second. Um, Andy Reid, it's just the, for him, it's, I think for him, it's more continued adulation of being the coach that I think most people thought he was, but he was never able to get past that point. And, and I think Jacob, I, I completely agree. It, it cements him. If he wins a second one, I don't, I don't have any argument that he's already a, a hall of fame coach he, for what he's done, but that just ends it. Bruce Arians, he's won Super Bowls, um, just not as a head coach. And it does give him because he's obviously had kind of a tumultuous head coach coaching career. And I think it gives him the at least breathing or the, the breathing of saying, hey, OK, I am a good coach. And then some other players that, that you look at that gives them the quality. What's it do for for Travis Kelsey? What's it do for Tyree Kill and, and Tyron Matthew or the three that on the Chiefs that I look at that are like, OK, a second Super Bowl win for all three of those guys they're already in contention again for being looked at as with Hill and Kelsey specifically as being some of the best at their position in history. 
with two Super Bowls, is Tyron Matthew then looked at as okay as he is one of the best safeties that's ever played the game at that point. So there is quite a bit for legacy. Again, it is just a game at the end of the day. So it's kind of interesting to, to think about it that way. But I think that Brady has the biggest aspect going forward. But I think there's quite a bit of headlines that can be made with this Super Bowl for sure. And Sam, to bounce off your points a little bit and also twist your words a little bit because that's what I like to do to you. The the Hall of Fame discussion is going to be very interesting, and that'll probably be a post Super Bowl discussion that we have about you know who do we think is in, who we think's not, that full thing, and that's going to be a longer discussion. But I find it interesting the way you stated about you know Brady not. I think you're saying he's already the goat, but it would even further cement that he's the goat, and there would be no debate about it. But that I think that's kind of what I'm saying too is like he's already the goat, but there would be no debate if he separated himself from Belichick. So I think we were saying the same thing just in different ways. Is kind of where we were at. Uh, and then the final one is, and then Bruce Arians, just think about this. Is anybody talking about Charlie Weiss being a great coach because he won Super Bowls as an offensive coordinator with the Patriots? So just to keep things in mind, history perspective-wise. I am with you that I think that storyline-wise, Tom Brady has far more to gain than anybody else. You guys have both mentioned separating yourself from Belichick. He is also the first quarterback in NFL history to host a Super Bowl in his team's home city. You you have a chance to to win essentially a home game Super Bowl and in in doing so what I already think was a non-debate but eradicate anybody's opinion about well Montana still won four and John Elway, if he'd had the weapons, might have won more. Look what he did at the very end of his career. He got back-to-back Super Bowls. You know, you have these debates that have gone on and on and on. And I think majority of people now think he is the, the greatest of all time. I know I certainly do with a bullet. But if you get a seventh Super Bowl with a completely different team in the first year, hosting it in your team's home city, I, I think that's a forty-one. At age 41, thank you. Yeah, it's that's that's something you can retire on and, and mic drop your way out into the sunset. You are riding off a hero, and everyone will look at Belichick in maybe a different light. Now, for Patrick Mahomes, this is everything I wanted. Last season, I desperately wanted the Patriots to beat the Titans so that the Chiefs could play them in the AFC Championship game. Because I think there is something to be said for taking the mantle and, and declaring yourself the best of the best. And Mahomes didn't get that chance. The last time they played each other in, in a playoff game with a chance to go to the Super Bowl, he lost. Not through any fault of his own, but his team lost. And that is what they will remember. The chance not only to redeem yourself in a playoff game, but a chance to play the greatest quarterback of all time in the Super Bowl in that quarterback's home city and take the mantle of I am definitively the best quarterback in the NFL it is not a discussion and I'm on my way to taking this guy's mantle of greatest of all time is here his his he would be one of nine quarterbacks including the man he's about to meet in Tampa to win back-to-back Super Bowls I think that would give him the nod as, okay, he's now a step above, you know, before age 26, he's a step above where Aaron Aaron Rodgers, he's a step above Brett Favre. 
he's a step above Dan Marino. Those guys that were able to, you know, either get to the Super Bowl or get that first Super Bowl and then never come back, he's already surpassed them. He found a way to be great statistically and win multiple Super Bowls. And I think being able to do it against the best of all time gives him a much needed nudge in the the rankings when you're talking about best quarterbacks in the NFL history. And as we were talking about all this, one thing I was thinking about that I really downplayed and didn't think about was this might be the biggest for Mahomes now that I'm really thinking about it, because when it, if Mahomes career goes like we all think it's going to go and he's going to, you know, let's just say he goes to seven Super Bowls. Let's get crazy here. Let, I, mean, I don't think right now we're all projecting that. Let's be honest as Chiefs fans, we're being homers. But if his career ends up, you know, with, I don't know, five Super Bowl wins, something like that. Well, people are going to knock him constantly if he loses to Brady again, because they're going to say, oh, well, he never beat Brady in the playoffs. I don't know that Brady gets back to this stage ever. I don't know that we ever even get to see a Brady and Mahomes matchup again in the playoffs since Brady will most likely finish his career in the NFC with the Buccaneers. You know, he probably has a year or two left at most, but that will be the crazy thing because this is going to end up being like the Jordan versus LeBron debate, except it would have been if 20 year old LeBron would have got to play against wizards, Michael Jordan. And if Michael Jordan won, everyone would have that as their Trump card of all time. Yeah. And I think that's where it, it lines up for me too. It's like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's a storybook ending. It all lines up for Brady. You know, you're hosting a Super Bowl in your team's home city. And you have a chance to separate yourself from your previous team in, a, in what was a very tumultuous end to that relationship. But I think Mahomes has a chance to put himself into the greatest of all time discussion prior to age 26. And, and I think that's, that's ridiculous to me. If I was still a reporter and still working in media, this would be everything I'd ever want to as a writer or a broadcaster, just because it's sure. got lines everywhere. One last quick note. You could see in, in Patrick Mahomes' face in that post-game trophy ceremony where he's just like, this is this is a great trophy. I'm ready to go get Brady. You could see it in his face. You laser-focused, terrified me. Yeah, and to, to your point, like, you've talked about the Jordan factor. Jordan never forgot a slight, and he never forgot when he thought he should have won and he didn't. Sure, Mahomes is holding on to that that AFC Championship game loss uh, as much as anybody else. Let's get into it here. Let's get to the actual game. Let's focus on the opponent first. The Buccaneers did get an impressive victory over the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game. What did we learn about the Buccaneers that maybe we didn't know after their week 12 matchup with the Kansas city chiefs, um, Sam, I'll come to you here first. Was there anything new that you were able to glean from this game between the bucks and the Packers? Not entirely new. Again, it's very similar to what we saw in our first matchup with them. I think the biggest shift that we've seen is, is number one is Gronkowski coming in to be, a much better weapon than he was at the time we were facing him early in the season, which as we know, with our problems with tight ends is a slight worry at times. And I think Tom Brady is, is impressing me with how consistent he has been playing at the age of 41. 
we talk about guys having it's a long season and they break their bodies break down his ball like me watching him throw the ball the other day even though he did have three inters pretty some of them kind of rough interceptions some of the balls he put up were better than we saw at the beginning of the year for him so it's, it's almost like he's coming on stronger so for the most part a relatively similar team not any I didn't glean anything incredibly different off of what they were than when we faced them um, other than they, they seem like they've become more fluid and in, in playing together again it's we played them relatively early in a season where there was no preseason so it, it just a, a more cohesive unit of what we saw early in the season I think Jacob, what about you? What were your takeaways from the Bucks win over the Packers? The Packers fell for the big plays and the Brady lobs because Brady Brady's never been strong throwing the ball deep. You know, he's never had a big arm. He's always had to load up to throw it. But man, the Packers just had no answer for the deep throws, whether it was him actually completing the pass or getting a big call, which uh, I don't want to get any Packers fans too upset about calls because I know how you feel about the end of that game. Just not falling for the big Brady lobs is what I'm going to say. And Sam, that's crazy that you bring up Gronk because how many receiving yards do you guys think Gronk had in that first game? If we're going to say he was not like, you know, as a huge factor. I want, I can't remember. I don't know exactly what he had. I know he had an effect on the game and I wasn't saying necessarily that he wasn't good. It's just, he's looking more like the Gronk of old. So I, I couldn't tell you exactly what he had, but he just he's coming on to be a better player than what, I think what we saw even at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I he had 106 and I just thought he was a matchup problem was the biggest issue. So I'm with you. I think Gronk is going to be a problem again. I was just trying to, you know, of course, set you up, Sam, because that's my goal in this podcast is to set up Sam. <laughs> anyway, no, because you were perfect there saying bringing up Gronk because he was the X factor in the receiving game for them. Uh, Godwin had 97 as well, but I don't remember him killing them as much. It was the big Gronk catches, like Kelsey catches, where it's just like, oh, man, there's another catch on this drive to keep it going. But, again, my my overall point is just don't fall for the big Brady plays. And the Packers didn't have the same game plan as the Chiefs did when I rewatched, and I know we're going there next, but the Chiefs had a single high safety and let Tyron Matthew play super deep all day. I think my biggest thing that I learned from the Buccaneers, which is something I should have gotten from week 12, but – maybe was more reinforced just because of the playoff atmosphere is you cannot relax with Tom Brady. You just can't. The pass at the end of the first half caught them completely off guard, got the touchdown. They picked him off three times. It didn't matter. He still led them to to the touchdown. I think Brady's there to be had for turnovers now. Something I never thought I'd ever say about him in his career, but I think he's there to be had because he is taking more chances downfield and he doesn't have the rocket arm that a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes or even a Lamar Jackson has. He doesn't have that, that arm strength. So he is winding up and he's taking chances knowing I'm just basically either my receiver is going to make a play or this could end up very badly, but he's still taking those chances and he doesn't stop taking those chances. So what I, what I think you need to do is make sure that you don't relax as a defense. You might pick him off two times and force a fumble. You can't rest on your laurels at that point. The Chiefs were blowing out the Buccaneers in their Week 12 matchup. That game was 27-24 when it was all said and done. You know, Packers defense picks Brady off three times. You think you're sitting pretty. If, I, if you told me they picked him off three times, I'd have told you Rodgers had routed them, and they didn't. They lost. So I think if you're the, if you're the defense, you just need to make sure that you stay on, on point throughout the rest of the game because if you relax and think, oh, we got him, we're just going to coast to a victory – 
he's going to beat you. I think that's what we saw this past week. I do want to ask, is there anything that the Chiefs can learn from their Week 12 matchup? What are things that they can take from that meeting and maybe implement as as strengths in this game or adjustments they can make going forward for this Super Bowl matchup? Uh, Jacob, we'll come to you first this time. What do you think the Chiefs can take away from their first meeting with the Buccaneers that could benefit them in this one? Sean, I'm glad you came to me first again because I have a third apology. I have a lot on this one too. I didn't spend an hour and a half of my day rewatching that game for nothing. Number one, I think they got to stick to the quick pass game again. The offensive line's only going to be worse. Again, though, Andy Reid respected that team, which is a good sign that he already knew that their defensive line and defensive front, because don't forget Devin White, of course, is a beast, is going to cause them some issues. The next thing I would say is just kind of eliminate dumb play because that game was never a three-point game until the final four minutes, which, of course, is the most important part of the game because the clock's melting down. But the reason is because Frank Clark had two roughing the passer calls on one of their final drives that were just foolish penalties. And I would hope that they don't do that again. The other one was they gave up a quick Mike Evans touchdown, which was the only one thing they couldn't do in a protect situation. That game was headed to 24 to zero until that strip sack that I had mentioned 20, 20 or 24 to zero, just depending on field goal or touchdown at half. And that would have made the game completely different too, I think. But in the second half, again, it was 27, 10 until the fourth quarter, they had a 17 point lead. And then it was almost Titans-esque where uh, Titans of two years ago, where everything that could go wrong just kind of went wrong. And so that would be the other one is just late game management, which again is kind of a weird one to say, but that is where I do think they'd have to make that change. And I'd like to see a similar game plan to before where they have Tyron Matthew drop deep because the secondary has been playing their minds out over the last couple of weeks. And hopefully we'll hear about Legereus Sneed. I know he went into concussion protocol, so hopefully he'll get cleared, but he's seemed pretty with it himself. He was already tweeting after the game. And so you would think he's probably going to be ready to go in two weeks, but I do think they bring a lot of the same game plan and they should be all right. I don't think it's going to be an insane game just because of the offensive line factor as much as the chiefs kind of want to exhale and kind of put a beat down on them. I do think that will hold them back a little bit and the, the offense will seem a little just sputter kind of a little bit like we had in that saints game where they still put up good points but I don't think it'll be as crisp as the first matchup. Now, one thing I will, I'm going to put this question just for my last little point here is what can the Bucks learn from that first matchup? Don't put Carlton Davis on Tyreek Hill in single coverage because that was absolute disaster and they kept doing it. And one other funny note to finish on that Bills game was that the Bills didn't watch the Bucks film either because they put Tyreek Hill in that single coverage with a single high safety I pointed out live. I was like, Alyssa, wait, watch Tyree kill. They're going to Tyree kill. They're going to Tyree kill. I swear to you, they will. And they hit him on the slam for seven years, whatever it was. Yeah. Single coverage on Tyree kill is probably going to get you beat no matter who you are. Sam, what about you? What are, what are the things that you think the Chiefs can take away from the week 12 matchup with the Bucks? I think the biggest thing that they're definitely going to obviously have in mind is, is not to purely look at the score and what, what happened in that game and understand that we can't rely on the big plays because that game was defined by early on with the Chiefs side of Tyreek Hill just destroying them. I mean, you even had him kind of joking with the Bucks fans of help's coming, help's on the way, don't worry. Um, 
I think they're going to have to look at this game a lot more of what we've done in the past couple of weeks, specifically of, of ensuring Patrick Mahomes is not getting hit. Um, they have an excellent, as we've already mentioned, an excellent front four specifically. The defense-wise, I think they can look a lot at what the Packers did to them because, honestly, it, it was a weird game watching the Packers-Bucks because I wasn't wholly impressed with the Bucks' offense as a whole. Remembering that, Mike Evans was completely shut out of that game by Burchard Breland and how well our secondary has been playing. Cause what I saw in the Packers secondary was not very good. They did not impress me whatsoever. And, and me just obviously looking forward and being like, okay, what can we do to them? I was like, Holy crap. Our secondary's been playing a whole lot better than what the Packers did against them. So for me, I think the, the thing that you can learn from that last game is what Jacob said on offense is ensuring that Patrick's not getting hit, ensuring that they're the dink and dunk passes are working well and integrating the run game that we've seen be effective with Williams, because that then sets up Tyree kill for the bombs. And then if that starts working, then we're off to the races. And, and Jacob's completely right is, is the, the dumb things is, is eliminating those problems that, we see occur on occasion with the chiefs when they do get out to a big lead where they go stagnant and they don't, their mind kind of goes out of the game. So I, I, it's really hard because you know, Andy Reed has two weeks. I I heard someone saying, you know, Todd Bowles has two weeks to play in for the chiefs. Andy Reed could write like 10 playbooks in that time. And it's like, how are you going to guard against something that doesn't exist? because he's going to sit down and, and write so many, I mean, game plans. So it's always exciting because, you know, the offensive minds that those guys have really are very creative. And it, I think it'll be similar to what we saw in the first game with some, but not nearly the plays will not be the same, just similar outcomes. I should say. Sam, I need a quick conversion there. Uh, one playbook equals how many cheeseburgers eaten. Uh, a full playbook, if we're talking for the Super Bowl, dude, that's like a, a Brahms bag of burgers. Uh, <laughs> playbook, I think, like a five dollar bag of burgers. He just gets down to work and, and goes to work each playbook. So we're talking fifty cheeseburgers in in the next two weeks, I think. So hopefully he, he doesn't have a any kind of cardiovascular problems. And he's built for that. He's ready for it, man. This is how he preps. I I am with you guys. I think that it's it's going to be a a repeat in some ways, you know, look to take advantage of the things that you can. They'll look for Tyree Kill if they are dumb enough to play single high safety and man-to-man coverage on the outside for Tyree Kill. Don't change anything. The only thing that I think you, you need to look at is don't take your foot off the gas. You know, it's the Super Bowl and you're you're literally in enemy territory at the Super Bowl. There's no neutral ground here. So make sure that you keep your foot on the gas at all times. You know, do what you did to Buffalo. You know, come out. Take their best punch, put your foot on the gas, and just don't stop. If you do that, I think that, to your guys' points, the other the strengths of the Buccaneers are play very well into the strengths of the Chiefs. It's just a matter in terms of offense versus defense. You know, our secondary plays is is the best part of the defense, hands down. It's just a matter of don't don't let up, keep going. Don't don't take your foot off the gas. If you pick off Brady twice, he's going to keep coming at you. It's the Super Bowl, and he knows what it takes to win. Just don't let up. Don't try to turn that light switch on and off. Just turn it on, leave it on. Let's go ahead and and transition. I kind of played my hand a little bit here, but 
what do we need to see from the Chiefs specifically? And maybe it's a position group, maybe it's a coaching decision, play call, etc. What do we need to see from the Kansas City Chiefs to complete this run it back tour and bring home a second consecutive Super Bowl win? Sam, we'll come to you first on this one. What is it that you got to have from Kansas City to get this win? You guys kind of hit on it when you when you covered Brady as a whole, talking about what we learned from the first game is not falling for what Brady does well. Because I think as we've seen, quarterbacks that have either suboptimal passing ability, whether it be through arm strength or through decision-making, the chief secondary are able to take advantage of that. Now, decision-making is not a question with Brady. Brady is, one of, again, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I'm not questioning that, but we can question his arm strength. And we can question his mobility heavily. So being able to pressure Brady and forcing him to throw the ball into positions that he is not comfortable throwing it is what I'm looking forward or for out of our defense specifically, because that's, again, kind of like we talked about last week with Josh Allen. That's where Tyron Matthew lives. He lives in those mistakes where he, he thrives off a quarterback trying to make a throw that is not appropriate or trying to do something that they are not capable of doing. So defensively, it has to come down to pressuring Tom Brady um, with the front four specifically not. And again, blitzing has been very effective recently. Brady is a very good quarterback at picking up the blitz. Um, So I'm not, I'm hoping we don't have to blitz as much. I need Frank Clark to do something. We saw him come alive a little bit in this last game, I think, getting two sacks. Um, showed a few more moves, things that we hadn't been seeing him do recently. But I need Chris Jones and Frank Clark to really do what they're paid to do, then allow the secondary to play the way the secondary has played in recent weeks. Offensively, Patrick Mahomes. I don't. I it at this point, I've I've gotten to the point where we could back on the offensive line all we want. We've done that all year, and it, it doesn't matter anymore because we have five backup offensive linemen. Um, we've got a running back who seems to be coming on in Williams and Clyde coming back seems to be a positive. If Sammy Watkins can somehow manage to get off the surgery table and come back into the game at any point might be helpful. But at this point, it's, it's what can Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid do in the offense to bluster a very good defense, to beat a very good defense, because that's what, I mean, Unfortunately, because of our offensive line, I think that's almost what we have to rely on at this point is a decent running game and Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes. Oh, and um, continuation of, of Bucker not missing kicks. And if I see McCole Hardman return, return another punt, I'm going to strangle something. I don't know what, but something. Oh, I feel you there. I feel you there, guys. I'm, getting, I'm not going to lie. I'm getting nervous just talking about this Super Bowl. Jacob, what about you? What do you got to see from the boys in red and gold? I'll start with a guy we haven't mentioned yet, which is Juan Thornhill. That dude played out of his mind in that game. And if he is good, then we're talking about, okay, it's not the Legion of Boom. That's That would be insane because that had, you know, insane guys on there. But it could have similar effects as that in a game. If all those guys are on, if you have Matthew Sorensen, Thornhill, Sneed, Breland, because Breland was the reason for two interceptions in that game on the two point conversion. And then he was on the bat, the ball to Fenton. If those dudes are playing like they are, I don't see a great outcome for the Bucks. So that is going to be my, what do I need to see from the defensive side is just the secondary 
keep playing like you're playing and Juan Thornhill, if he can be great and, you know, be a ball, not a ball hawk, a coverage hawk, because he can just cover so many much ground so quickly. That's a good sign. And then as far as offense goes, what I want to see is just take what's given to you. The Bucks got roasted in the passing game last time. The Chiefs weren't super effective in the run. And then it was kind of flipped for this week of, you know, the Bills got killed with the running in their first matchup. So they said, hey, you know what? Come be us with the pass. And the Chiefs didn't have much problem with that. They're like, oh, hey, we have Patrick Mahomes, by the way. But that's what I want to see from the offense is just get, take what's given to you. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to get pushed back to the passing game again. So that's where I'm at on both sides of it. And Sam, to go with you on the McCole Hardman thing, all I want is somebody just to go back there, catch the ball. What's what's Eddie Drummond doing these days? Can he just go back there and not return the ball at all? Can we get one more game out of X Factor? Do you think we can Dante just go back and fair catch it? One 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 drop of a game out of it. That's all I need. I just want to see X Factor out there one more time. Jacob, you're forgetting one thing, the uh, two things actually that you need to see from next week's game, and they are stay healthy and win. Oh my goodness. Sorry, sorry, everybody. Let's <laughs> gather on the table. I'm just happy everybody's here and healthy and the Chiefs win. I was amazed you didn't lead with it. For me, it is again the front four getting some kind of a pass rush. I don't think that with this secondary, how well it's playing, you even need it to be a great pass rush. Just be decent. Move Brady off of his spot. Make him throw the ball earlier. Just I'm, I'm not even worried about them getting home. Just make him move. This isn't Josh Allen where he's going to run for 10 to 15 yards of pop. It's Tom Brady who's going to be lucky to get back to the line of scrimmage. So just move him off his spot. And the secondary, I think, will take care of the rest. I, I, I agree with you, Jacob. I think that Juan Thornhill's play is in no small part why the defensive secondary looked so good. His ability to take away deep threats to to help over the top and man center field is is outstanding when he's 100% healthy on the offensive side of the ball just keep Patrick clean if you keep him clean I think he wins I think that's the biggest thing just keep him standing and you will win this game one way or the other one guy I did want to re-mention just because it was hilarious Chris Jones and Tom Brady's feud is one of the greatest things ever. Chris Jones has revealed what he says to Brady every time. It's just like, man, when are you going to F and retire? And man, you're old. So I'm also excited for Chris Jones because he has shown the Chris Jones we know in the playoffs as well, where there's times where he just decides he will not be blocked. This week, he, it wasn't as effective because it was Josh Allen. But if he has similar rushes as he did this week against Josh Allen against Tom Brady. I think you could see three sacks just because Josh Allen is so big and elusive, but different story there. Also, I want to see Byron Pringle take back punts. Byron Pringle is shown to be a great return man in the kickoff game. Let him fair catch a punt once in a while. And I think it'll all go out well. Let's do it. Let's predict this sucker. Uh, I will go first to get mine out of the way. I'm legitimately nervous now, guys. I don't know what happened those last 20 minutes of this podcast, but I have like, my heart rate went up like a hundred points. I'm not even kidding. Uh, I'll go first on this one just to get my prediction out of the way. It's the Super Bowl. It's in Tampa against the Buccaneers with the greatest quarterback of all time opposite you. I don't think it's going to be a blowout because just because what we said before, the Buccaneers just keep coming even when they turn the ball over. I, I do think that Patrick Mahomes being able to stand up with a bad offensive line plays well. So I'm going to say it is a 34 to 
31 outcome in favor of the Chiefs. And I think it's going to come down to it at the very end. Jacob, we'll come to you next. What's your prediction here for this one, Chiefs versus Bucks in the Super Bowl? I'm glad I went second because I'm hoping it didn't get stolen. I will go. I think it's going to be a 10-point win. I think they're going to the Chiefs are going to clean up just a little bit. I do think that Tom Brady's going to have some turnovers. And like I said, I think the Chiefs are going to clean up. So I'm going to go with a 34-24, not a blowout, but a comfortable win is where I'm going to put myself at. And Sam, bring us home. What do you think the score is going to be Chiefs versus Buccaneers in this run it back tour? I think it's going to be a similar game to what we've seen kind of all year round where the scoreline might make it seem a lot closer than it actually was. Obviously with Tom Brady, you can never be too confident. He's a great, he's the greatest of all time in, in our kind of what we've come to conclusion. But I, I think the Chiefs are going to win uh, I'll say 31 to 24. So it's going to be one kind of close game, but I don't think it'll look as close as it actually is. Son, real quick, uh, I just want to make sure, just to, just for good luck, uh, if it Chad Henney starts, I'm going to go with a 24 to 20 win, I think, which was the exact same score that Sam used last week, which I stole from Sam. So I'm going to go 24 20 Chad Henney win if Chad Henney starts, just for good luck. And Sam, your Chad Henney score? My Chad Henney score, I think it's going to be a super shootout of a score of 15 to 12. I think the defense would just decide, hey, we're going to win this game ourselves. And I'll take a uh, 17 to 10 Chad Henney win if Chad Henney starts against the greatest of all time, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's going to do it for us tonight, folks. We really appreciate you joining us. If you are out there with chills and shakes like I am right now, no, you're not alone. We are all in this together on a run it back tour. We got two weeks, so next week we're going to figure out what the heck we're going to talk about, but we will be back next week and uh, talk about something. But until then, you guys stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you guys next week.